Welcome to another episode of The Impolite Psychologist. So people who have not been to therapy and don't plan on going to therapy often will say that therapy is only for crazy people or only crazy people go to therapy. And my argument against that is basically that everybody is crazy you're crazy, I'm crazy, we're all crazy in our own way. And so I just started looking back over my career and just looking at the types of people that I have seen over time. And of course, I've worked in different places. And so, so of course, I've seen different populations in different places that I've worked that were specific to that population. For example, when I was young, one of my internships required me to work at a facility in which the criteria for getting in was you had to be, the clients had to be, actively suicidal, actively homicidal, or actively psychotic. So that was a very different population than what I see in private practice. In private practice, it's a different group of people. It's people who want to be here, which is nice because I have worked in a lot of places where people didn't want to be there, didn't want to see me. So it's a different ballgame altogether. And yet, still, there are certain types of people who come in for therapy in private practice. And so just to start with sort of the easiest ones, there are people who come in and they just want to work on themselves. Maybe they're a perfectly nice person, but something has happened and it's upset them in some way, like a death in the family or a loss of a job or something like that. And so for the most part, those people just want to kind of get help with their coping skills and just sort of get through this difficult time in their lives. Now, things get a lot more complicated in therapy in that your relationships with people become complicated. And one of the things that kind of bothers me is when I get somebody who has decided that I'm the best thing that's ever happened to them before we've even met. And so I will get somebody who calls up and says, hey, this is what I'm looking for. These are my problems that I have to work on, et cetera, et cetera. And I, and I will say, okay, well, this is what I deal with. And it sounds like, you know, I could work on these things with you very easily. And then all of a sudden I get elevated to this status of, you are going to be the best thing that's ever happened to me. I can just tell. I know that you're going to save me. I know that you are my person. And I get idealized in the first few minutes of a phone call. And the person has decided that I'm greater than I actually am. And that kind of freaks me out a little bit. But it happens kind of frequently in private practice. I'm sure it doesn't just happen to me. And I think the reason that that's so weird for me is I start to feel like there's an expectation on me that I can't live up to. But most of the time when people do idealize you like that, it doesn't matter what you do, 
they've pretty much decided that you're the best thing that ever happened to them. And no matter what you say or what you do, it all fits into that category for them because they need you to be that. They need you to be something that you're not. And it makes them happier and feel safer and stable to think of you that way. And so that's kind of why that happens. Now, what ends up happening also is that I get people who are the people pleaser types, right? And their whole life is about making other people happy. And so that sort of spreads over into therapy as well in that they will see you, you'll talk about something and then they will say, oh my gosh, you're absolutely brilliant. That's, I had not thought of that before. You just made a connection for me that I had never realized. And oh my gosh, you're such a brainiac. And it's really not that brilliant what you've said. It's usually kind of stock therapist talk. But um, for some reason, it, people pleasers need to please everybody. And that includes their psychologists, that they have to be able to praise their psychologists and lift them up um, all the time. And that the people pleaser types will do this pretty much every session. There will be some reason that they will find to compliment you and positively reinforce you for something that you're doing that quite frankly isn't that brilliant. But again, they need it to be. So that's where you get elevated to some status also that you are not actually living up to. So it's a little bit uncomfortable for me. The people pleasing goes into also being super interested, complimentary. How was your weekend? I love your outfit. Oh my gosh, I bet you're just the best friend that anyone could ever have. You know, just so many compliments that it starts to feel a little bit weird and a little bit icky because you know that you're not that great. You know, it's like you do your best as a psychologist. I do my best as a psychologist to intervene and help people. I know I am not perfect. And that when people sort of compliment me in that way, it makes me uncomfortable because it makes me feel like I can't really live up to this standard. But it's okay because they're a people pleaser and they would never tell me if I didn't live up to that standard anyway. Now, there's another type of person that I have encountered in practice and actually very early on in my career, I learned about people who are very slow processors, meaning that whenever we're talking about something, there ends up being a really long pause as they ponder and think about what we were just talking about. And when I was young and I first encountered this as an intern, my instinct was to nervously fill the room with conversation or superficial comments because the silence was simply too uncomfortable for me. 
But it was actually then that I realized that some people just need extra time to think about things. Now, that's not the same thing as people sort of like drifting off into space and and not being present. There are people who just genuinely stop speaking and they will think and ponder for long periods of time and they will eventually come back to what we were talking about, but it'll be something like this. So my thoughts about this are that silence is very uncomfortable and, or it was uncomfortable. I've gotten used to it now. Um, sometimes people do it for so long that, that, you know, therapy time runs out and that's sort of problematic. But besides that, I just call them long processors because it does take them a while to maybe even find the words to respond but they're just pondering and that's okay. Now, something weird that happens is every once in a while, I'll get a celebrity. And the rules for psychologists are that you're not really allowed to look anybody up, right? So if somebody walks in and says, oh, I'm a movie star and I don't exactly know who they are. I'm not supposed to Google them because if I suddenly know who they are, it will ruin my relationship with them and my ability to be neutral with them. And so I have had a few celebrities in my practice, but I didn't know who they were. I just knew what they did for a living. And it's only once that somehow I accidentally came upon an article about one of the celebrities spouses and then I went oh my gosh that person really was famous back in the day but um, that was a coincidence and it was long after I had seen them so it didn't really matter that much but one thing I can say about celebrity types is that they have a formula that has brought them fame and fortune in their life and Sometimes these are tough nuts to crack because everything they've done so far has led to success. And then they get to a point where something is very uncomfortable inside of them and they want to work on it. And I think in the course of going to therapy, you're sort of asked to take stock of how you live your life and maybe make some changes in terms of either who you're with or how you think about things. And it's the celebrity types that don't really want to change things. They kind of want to stay with the formula that works for them. And I think they do for a reason, but eventually they can come around. Um, but that's, that's what I see as kind of the type. Now, another facet to that is just people who are extremely wealthy and extremely wealthy people will come into private practice and they're sort of used to solving a lot of problems through money and that they 
don't necessarily want to do things a whole lot differently either. And so there's sort of stubbornness about them, or they have expectations for therapy that aren't necessarily realistic, or they want me to fix them without them doing a whole lot differently in their lives. And so I experienced this uh, about 10 years ago where a woman walked into my office and basically said, you're going to earn every penny of what I'm paying you. And my response at the end of the session was, you seem to have the answers to everything. I don't think you need therapy since you know everything already. And I was never to see her again. But it also made me feel extremely icky. One of the things about psychologists is that we are small business owners. And Robert Kiyosaki talks about this in his books, about how small business owners don't value money over everything. They value their personal freedom over everything. So in that sense, we are often willing to shoot ourselves in the foot financially in order to get rid of a pain in the ass client like that. And we do because it's true. Freedom is more important than anything. We'd rather be penniless than have to put up with somebody's bullshit in therapy, especially considering if they're going to sign up and be there for a long time and just sort of be abusive towards us. And I have had a lot of abusive clients also. I have had, I literally, when I was an intern, had someone kick me as I was walking this person down the hall to my office. And they thought it was funny. And I thought, okay, we have escalated from emotional abuse into physical abuse, and this is not good. And so there's a lot of that. Usually it doesn't become physical, but there's a lot of putting us down. I think I felt this a lot more when I was younger, um, when I had more to lose, when I couldn't just sort of kick people out of therapy or encourage them to leave. There were, you know, sometimes it's just negative comments, like one woman told me that my shoes weren't sexy enough, but a lot of times it's just like, you said this thing and it offended me, and I think you want to offend me, and I think that's the kind of person that you are. And so it's a lot of put-downs and negative talk and just kind of to try to damage us emotionally. And our job is not to kick that kind of person out, but to help them work through how to play well with others. Because, you know, as a psychologist, I'm not the first person that that person has been emotionally abusive towards. I am one of a long line, I'm sure, of people that this person has been emotionally abusive towards. And so that's really our goal is to work through this kind of stuff. Now, there have been 
times where I was afraid of clients, but not for reasons that you might expect. I mentioned in an earlier podcast that I had been grabbed by um, a psychotic man who was having a delusion, but um, that, of course, that scared me, but um, there have been times when I have been more afraid than that because where that took place was in a facility where there were lots of other people around, but I have been more afraid in private practice than when I worked in facilities with less functional people because there's nobody here besides me. You know, I am here and there are a couple of doors to the outside. And so if anything goes wrong or things escalate, I don't really have anybody that I can go to for safety and I better be able to defend myself. So I have had the experience of being in private practice and having um, clients that had sort of a history of violence and recognizing that I couldn't keep them, particularly if they were going to be with me late at night and I knew there wasn't even going to be anybody else in the building or very few people in the building. I found a way to refer them to another therapist because I just wasn't willing to take the chance that I might upset them or they might be upset. They might show up in my office and already be agitated. And then we're going to talk about problems. That is sort of a recipe for potential disaster and safety is big for me as it should be for you and everybody else. Now in the medical world, we know the word malingering, right? You know that somebody is malingering. Um, they are pretending that they have some medical issue that they don't actually have, or it's not as bad as it actually is. And um, this is sort of a frequently used word in the medical community. In the psychological community, we use the words secondary gain, meaning that there is something for a person to gain by remaining mentally ill. There's some sort of advantage in their life for remaining sick in a sense. Maybe it's because someone is paying for them and they um, don't want to have to support themselves or they're afraid of supporting themselves so they remain sick so they can't get a job. Um, it, there's a number of reasons why. Maybe it's attention seeking, maybe they seek the pity of others. Whatever it is, secondary gain is real in therapy and we see it quite a bit. And the way that we kind of know that it's happening is that the person either has gotten some sort of intervention or gotten a good intervention, gotten a good intervention long term, and they're just not getting better and they're not responding to treatment. Or every time you try to do an intervention, they find some way of 
wiggling out of it, some way of not talking about that subject or not working on that particular issue, or they find a way of changing the subject. Now, I think most people, when they're uncomfortable, will change the subject or talk about something that's a little bit easier, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who literally do not plan on getting better. And I've seen that before, especially in the age of video chats. I have been doing um, interventions since COVID started in 2020 online. And I will find people are playing on their phones while we're trying to do therapy. And I'm thinking to myself, what is going on? Why would you pay me this much money and then be distracted? And it's not necessarily because they're avoiding serious issues. I think a lot of times it's just I don't plan on getting better, I don't need to get better, and that's that. Now, there are a lot of people who, as I have said earlier in podcasts, who have someone else wanting the intervention for them. And they come in and they don't plan on working on anything. And they literally don't work on anything. They come in with the most superficial of problems. And as a psychologist, I'm trying to dig and dig and dig and they, I'm coming up with nothing. They are not endorsing anything as a bigger problem. They don't have any issues other than everyday life issues like, oh, somebody cut me off on the freeway and that pissed me off or my boss is expecting too much of me these days and it never gets past that. But then you know why the person was sent to therapy. You know that there's a huge issue in their life that I've had everything. I've had, you know, spouses on the brink of divorce. I've had bosses pay because they believe that their employee needs to get better in order to keep their job. And it's mostly a mental health issue. And so I've had a lot of reasons why other people might be paying to send someone to therapy. And if a person comes and they don't want to be there, they're not going to do anything but have superficial conversations and only discuss minor problems. And even when we're discussing a minor problem like, oh, you know, your boss is expecting too much of you these days, what do you think that's like? Have you ever had big expectations put on you in your past? Nope, just my boss, that's it, just my boss. Nope, never had any problems with that in my life before. Right, so you can't get anything out of even the superficial stuff. They refuse to endorse any bigger problems. And so that's really hard. And usually um, I end up finding a way for them to leave, I will say. It seems like your problems are, you know, we've gone as far as we can, the door is always open, but it seems right now there's not a whole lot for us to do. And 
because somebody else already sent them to therapy, usually they don't come back. And they're happy to not come back. And that's okay. Now, there's some other weird stuff that happens. I don't notice it as much now that I've been doing this for all these years. But I remember being a young intern and seeing people for the first time in therapy. And there's this weird phenomenon that I noticed. And that is whatever problem that you are personally having, your clients will walk through the door with the exact same problem. And I don't, like I said, I don't notice it as much now. But when I was first coming up and I was a therapist, I could not believe how frequently people would come in and their situations would be exactly like mine. It would be you know, I would meet somebody who was the same exact age as me and had the same family configuration and the same family issues and the same problems with their significant other. And it would just blow me away that whatever I was dealing with at the time would walk through that door. And so there's a sort of um, a spiritual component to therapy as well in this sense. Now I just notice it more like my clients will walk through the door and we are literally wearing the same outfit for the most part, right? Or the same color scheme. So there's a, a funny thing like that when you're in sync with people, how these things happen. Now, one of the things that happens to me, and I think this might be personal, is that I will have conversations with people on the phone and think that they are perfectly normal and going through a, like a difficult life transition. And then I will meet them, have several sessions with them and just try to help them get through whatever the life transition problem is or whatever the stressor is. And then after a few sessions, I will find out that they are crazier than I ever thought. And usually it's something like, like, um, you know, I can read your mind or, you know, I talk to spirits or, you know, I see ghosts quite frequently. You know, it'll be something that is so far off the wall that I had never seen coming in a million years. And uh, that's actually something that makes the job more interesting and it also keeps my guard up a little bit more because i think you know people can come across as perfectly normal for a while and then you find out something major like that and so the original point that i had made in the beginning is that everybody is crazy and so no crazy people are not the only ones to go to therapy and the world is not full of normal and crazy. Everybody's crazy. And so I would say that you are not above going to therapy. Everybody has something that they could be working on or some issues that you know, you know, that you haven't dealt with, that it's time to deal with. And so we welcome you, especially into private practice. We're happy to have more interesting people, and I hope you take advantage. Thank you for listening, and be well.